listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Inclusive AF podcast. My name is Katie Van Horn. And I am Jackie Clayton. That welcome. one was perfect. I think that one was perfect. I it so was good. We yeah. have a guest on it. I think we should start asking guests if they think that your pause between first and last name is appropriate or yeah. not. I think we should start taking a, a little poll. much. Yeah, yeah, a little much, a little too much. Um, so we have a great guest today um, and we will turn it over to Laura Close to introduce herself and share a little bit about herself. So Laura, welcome. Thank you. Um, Jackie, I thought that your pause added gravitas and impact. Oh my gosh, I'm putting that on a shirt. There it is. With it, dash Laura Close. Yeah. Laura, <laughs> you're you're creating a monster and I don't think you know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me um, on this podcast. Uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I had a chance to really uh, listen to the back episodes and, and think about both of your long um, and uh, committed careers in what's now called the DEI space. And it's sort of always a little bit of an honor to spend time with folks who really put their life's work behind this effort. So I uh, am one of the three co-founders of Included.ai. Uh, we are Salesforce for DEI in the enterprise, and we can get into that later. Um, I am a cisgendered female. I identify as she, her pronouns, and I'm also a mother. Um, I am straight, but I came up through radical queer community. It was a huge influence on my trajectory. Uh, and I also came up through white anti-racist people's movements inside the United States um, and was mentored by movement leaders um, who had been at it for decades before I came along. And um, I'm new to the software space uh, and I am the only non-technical co-founder on my team. Uh, yeah, so I come to the I come to technology from the DEI side of the house, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm did I already say that I'm a mom? I think that's a really important part of my identity too. I'm a mom with two kids, um, and it's a huge influence, you know, on, on how you see the world. So thanks for having me. Absolutely, yes. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. So uh, first off, how old are your kids? Well, geez, uh, <laughs> the, little, the little dude is eight, uh, and my older one is 10. Awesome. Okay. Aww. Okay. So Jackie has uh, college aged kids now. So yes, she's kind of over the hump a little bit, um, which is mom good. of two adults. Yes. I made it. Yes. Yeah. And I'm the aunt of 18 uh, kids of various ages from like one to 33, I think is the oldest one. So, you know, it's, I can go pluck them out and like pick whatever age I want. It works out perfectly. <laughs> um, all right. So Laura, tell us a little bit about your career. Cause I love that you have in your profile that you started before DEI was DEI. So tell us a little bit about that, a little bit about your career. Um, I like to joke that uh, I'm whatever chair I end up in within uh, anti-racism and DEI movements is always on the sort of the uncomfortable edge. Uh, so now like today we're here because I'm founding software in the DEI space, but originally um, you know, I was heavily influenced by the Undoing Structural White Supremacy Workshop series that came out of the Bay Area that was led by Bettina Martinez. And um, the original cohort there were part of my mentors. And then nationally, many Black liberation leaders uh, had a chance to sit with me and kind of help me think through as a, you know, 18-year-old and a 19-year-old, sort of how I was going to shape my political career, uh, which went on for a very long time nationally. Uh, building consciousness around ally work and what that means. And the joke is always that, you know, I was running around talking about structural white supremacy at a time when it was not a term that was in parlance and anywhere near what we would have now. And, you know, even my like, uh, you know, extended uh, family, you know, the baby boomers above me, uh, both my, you know, my parents and probably my my husband to be's parents were like, can you just slow down a little bit? So, you know. It's a little intense. <laughs> right. Uh, and so, you know, I have I have a habit of like being like, look, it's the third rail. Uh, so, uh, in fact, uh, you know, after uh, political consciousness raising around the United States and, and a lot of networking, community and capabilities building among political strategists, uh, I went on to uh, paid work for a while, which was really cool to 
we paid money uh, for uh, uh, community and union organizing. Uh, at which point I worked on campaigns uh, that were organized, they were very innovative campaigns that were organized around welfare affiliated workforce, which is a whole different conversation we can get into another time. But I, it took me to every single part of the state of Oregon where I was located at the time, uh, both the uh, eastern uh, outskirts close to Idaho, as well as the, you know, the heart of downtown Portland, Oregon, so forth and so on, really thinking critically about um, disproportionately female welfare identified workforces and what it would really mean to build leadership among women of color in those populations uh, to access voice and vote to raise pay and, and to, to get health care for those populations. It's a very formative experience for me as well. And then I had kids y'all and I was like, how do you like make money to <clears throat> like feed them and stuff? You know? <laughs> It went on for a long time with me being like, if it's, you know, if it's not wealth transfer, it's not happening. Uh, and so I had a big think uh, and I founded an executive coaching practice in Seattle uh, because I discovered sort of through trial and error that political campaign strategy is directly reproducible uh, into a career coaching framework. Uh, influencing tactics, campaign, the whole nine yards. Uh, and it's been a very successful practice. I stepped back. Um, so I'm now just in an oversight role over the business. I still own it. It's, it's called Close Cohen. It's here in Seattle, Washington. And I've had this amazing journey in the last 18 months of founding DEI Tech, very uh, analytics forward, sophisticated data capabilities. And the last thing I'll say here is that, you know, we've met with hundreds of DEI leaders in the enterprise chief people officers, people who are passionate about diversity. And it feels like when I was 19, it feels like going around the country and meeting the movement leaders, but they're in the enterprise. And it is a really, it's a really cool and powerful feeling. It is, it. that is, it's so inspirational. You know, I'm, we're getting ready about to have um, Black History Month. And can I tell y'all something? Yeah, that it's related. Always. I promise. I promise. So like my whole life, like we've been doing this work, especially about like in the recruiting space and talent acquisition. And I've worked with corporations and as an advisory piece of telling them like, okay, this is what should happen. This is the way the format. And usually they're like, oh yeah, I'll do that part, but not that other one, not really interested or whatever, or can we do it in stage? You know, how it's broken down. And I have to tell you, it blows my mind that I'm at a company and I'm like, yeah, so figured we'd do some movie watching together as an organization, starting with unapologetic about two black queer women in Chicago during the death of, you know, with the protests. Mm -hmm. I'm like, pause, pause. Like I was waiting. Like I had already practiced this in my head probably since I was 12 years old. No, that's not gonna work. We can't do that, too many people. Are you sure people are gonna get upset? And none of that happened, right? It's like, is this really happening? I think it's happening, right? Like the hair stood up. I mean, people are really, we are seeing more. We're not there yet, but I'm getting more yeses than no's. Has that been your experience as you've been talking to people? I mean, the desire right now that we're fielding at Included AI, I mean, I, I can't reveal the totality of what's happening on our side, but like the, some of the highest placed corporate leaders in the United States have been like, hey, I need my diversity data immediately. And I also need to know how to model it and how to measure it. And we're like, <laughs> okay, yeah. We got you. I mean, the hunger for precision is how I would answer your question, right? The willingness to know the real story is at an all-time high. Which is amazing. And I, I think it's so interesting because, you know, we're having different folks on um, and, and data is like the red thread, I feel like, for so many of these conversations that people, like you just said, are hungry for what is our data? And what does it mean or how should we analyze it and interpret it? And I think it's just interesting because you're right, like that has never been a conversation before. It's like, oh, hey, HR, go do that DNI thing and let us know if everyone likes yeah. the party we threw for Black History Month. And you're like, right, that's not what this is. 
So no. I love that, you know, data is something as you are saying that, you know, folks are reaching out and people in powerful positions are asking, how do we think about this? That's awesome. Yeah, it's really, it's an incredible moment. I mean, I, I'm, I don't, I feel like I would only be telling you things you already know. The consensus is that an, it's a fever pitch right now in terms of, we just need to know the truth so we can action on it. Uh, and that's, that's really the solution that we brought to market. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so I, I want to talk, I want to kind of jump back to something you mentioned earlier, the structural white supremacy. So I want you to tell our listeners, what does that mean? What does that like as, as they are thinking about this? Because a lot of the folks that are listening are in HR or are recruiters or are in this space. So would love for you to share a little bit, a bit about structural white supremacy. Let's just take a moment of silence for the spirit of bell hooks to support me through this moment. I have not done this since I was 19. So <laughs> We've got you. We're here for you. We're good. Woosa. <laughs> um, so, I mean, all up, uh, the concept is that, you know, in any society, there are structures. There's the legal institutions. There are institutions of learning. There are institutions of work uh, and socializing. Everything has a, an institutional component within our society, right? The ways that we uh, conduct our experiences and woven into assumptions at the core of all of these institutions uh, are assumptions of supremacy of certain groups and populations and whiteness is a part of those sets of assumptions. Also, you know, there's been a very famous dialogue inside the United States about the assumption of men as more valuable um, and we can see this, for example, in the founding documents of the United States about who got to even be a voter at the origin points of the nation. Uh, and when we roll forward to current modern days, we talk about biases in the hiring process, right, within the private sector, right, the assumption of who makes a good engineer, right, uh, the assumption of uh, what kinds of physical abilities are required in order to conduct a job, right, so when we talk about um, are differently abled populations, right, so forth and so on. So when we talk about white supremacy, we're talking about the uh, assumptions uh, that are baked into how things are conducted and executed throughout society and all the institutions that whiteness is the preferred uh, modality for all things to occur. How did I do, guys? It's been a long time. Since that was I phenomenal. That was very, very good. That was yes, brilliant. And, and the I'm reason proud. why I, I asked that question very purposefully because I think this is, you know, this is kind of at the, at the the crux of CRT in a lot of ways at the crux of so many of these conversations that are going on right now. And so to understand that it is that the default of whiteness, the default of maleness are the things that this country was built on, as you mentioned, and for folks to understand that and then start to, it's that, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I think folks need to start seeing some of these things that they have not seen before and really realize what impact that has on every single thing that you're doing every day out in society and how that just completely changes when you go, wait, why are we doing it this way? Or who said, I saw something today and it was Henry Ford actually came up with the five day work week that it was eight hours per day for, you know, five days. And you know, they were, it was a meme, like kind of <laughs> he's big jerk face kind of <laughs> thing, like, what, then he came <laughs> up with that. but it, it, it's that same kind of thing. Like, this is just an arbitrary number and a number of days, that type of thing. So very, very interesting. Um, so tell us a little bit about the, the, the technology that you're, you're building and kind of why you built it. What's it, what does it do for customers? Hey, can I bridge off of what you just said? Because I oh, was of course, really, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, this is like conversation for, I was like having a whole thought. Yeah. What you were talking. So, um, you know, since, since I got involved, right. So, you know, I'm, I'm limited by my entire, you know, actual lifespan, but since I got involved in movement building, it's been a discussion about consciousness raising fundamentally, right. Whether you're thinking, um, essentially the right thoughts and whether you're using essentially the right words, right? And um, what I am so thrilled about with the advent of DEI technology is the ability to know our numbers and to tell our story in data, regardless of what people think or say or believe, right? Um, you know, the, the leaders who mentored me, um, this, was, this was a long time ago, were saying, you know, measure what matters in their own words, right? Now we have like, you know, business lit frameworks around it. Um, and they, you know, they also, another framework that was, you know, related to me was like, the numbers will tell our story just go get them, right? We couldn't get them. We're like, let's go to the courthouse. 
and like go through the paper files and see if we can find census records <laughs> to talk about <laughs> demographic. <laughs> I have a paper cut, right? And so like at this day and stage, what we have is an HR tech stack inside the private sector that was never built to tell the demographic story. That was never built to deliver real time, you know, sophisticated predictive analytics that let DEI leaders really succeed in their role, right? And so what we're seeing now is engineers who were busy, they were busy building iPhones and Teslas. We're like, hey, this space looks good. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the story behind the founding of Included. So I you know, was uh, coaching chief executive officers and one of them was in my practice as a CTO, uh, thinking about his career path, uh, who's now my co-founder, Raigu. And he's like, you know what I'm interested in? DEI. And I was like, oh, friend. <laughs> <laughs> how to say uh and so you know having great uh technological minds say i know i'm a people data expert right or i'm an analytics expert right or i'm an ai expert let's do this together and join hands and so included included ai uh is salesforce for dei so we knit together the business units with continuous real-time uh, rich demographic insights so that just like in sales, you would never miss an opportunity to track a customer, to locate a customer, to engage them. You always know what's happening so that you can nurture the relationship and drive revenue outcomes all up for the company. With included.ai, you never miss an opportunity to know where your diverse candidates are, to uh, court them, to bring them in, right, to measure at all times how that relationship is going to see their experience for the entire hiring funnel. Right now we deliver solutions at the talent acquisition stage of the employee life cycle. So you can always know, measure, make plans, and then execute to drive, you know, what I predict will be breakthrough outcomes for diversity hiring in the private sector. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. I don't know, man. That's a lot. Because <laughs> I don't know how you do it, <laughs> right? But... I always look at the things like I know my background is within this space, like it is in this tech space and um, and in the AI space and in technology. So I look at it and I know that there are there are lots of different ways of gathering the data. But I also know being like, you know, a black woman, there's also ways of manipulating that data like what it's so important when people ask me like what's the biggest mistake that people make in diversity recruiting i always say it's because they start looking for diverse candidates without looking at the underlying systems um that we are talking about and in my research you can tell that people don't feel safe like if you look at like numbers and this is just like when you ask people to self-disclose it's it's funny not funny like all you see is just like oh i'm white like like all the way down the board. And so it's like, how, you know, I don't, I don't know what, every, you know, everybody else, like some people don't have that self-disclosure. And, and I, and I think part of it is just um, trust, you know, there's, a, there's trust issues. We're seeing, it's good to know, like when you're working with a company that actually cares that you can promote those things and people feel safer and better to be able to do that. But it's, it's gonna, it's gonna take time, I think, for people to feel safe with whatever, that is, you know, some of our customers are using, so we're, we're delivering to our customers sort of unprecedented precision insights uh, into their DEI data. And so they're able to turn that data around and share it out with their incoming candidate population to build trust and say, here's our numbers. Here's what we're doing with our data. Here's what happens when you self-disclose it drives up our numbers. So our customers have very high disclosure rates once they start showing their data publicly. And, and I, I really believe that we are in a, you know, DEI 3.0 moment where transparency and accountability is finally unlocked in a way that it just has never existed before. Uh, and so I, 
I've been very heavily exposed to the need to build trust as a framework for decades. Uh, and it's never going to go away, obviously. But I wonder if some of the frameworks we've been operating with um, through a liberation politics perspective are starting to need to reorganize themselves around the new levels of transparency and accountability that we have, right? Um, and really, you know, you know this because this is your space, but what we're seeing is the candidate being treated like customer. Right. And so when we when we talk to the customer part of the brain, which is like, of course, you're going to take my data <laughs> and you're going to give me amazing ads so that I can buy new jewelry on Instagram. Right. When we right, talk right. To that part of the brain for the candidate. Right. We start to change the conversation, which is like everyone, you know, it's all in on the ship because we want to take care of you differently. Right. And we're showing the uh, progress we're making continuously. That is, is so clear. I thought. So um, this is my humble brag. It's not really humble, but it's like a full on brag. So, you know, um, get your air cigarette ready where it's like, I was um, in the Wall Street Journal. Um, and, um, but I thought it was really weird because I'm like, I gave them this brilliant information, but all they wanted to know was you post your salaries, right? That's what they wanted to know. And we we're like, yeah. And they're like, why? Oh, so people know. Thanks. Like it felt like that moment, like in Monsters Inc., when he was like, I'm on TV. And all you see is like feet. Like you can't see the whole thing. It kind of felt like that moment because there's so much to this, but it's like, why is that news? And people were just, you know, it's been a game of inches for so long. And I'm I'm so glad that, you know, people are looking at it and saying, Oh, you can't do it by yourself. Okay, well, legislate it then. Right? Like it's it's like we'll just ask the people let's take a vote yeah yeah we want people to do this and what has also been interesting is the response the response and it's the same as you've gone you know the same like who's complaining about posting having salary transparency i'll, I'll let you guess i'll let you guess on who doesn't want to do that um and like it's the same people who don't want to teach you know about what's actually happening in the country and how people have been treated through the same group you know and it's like can we just be done with that like we're done with that i think collectively we're done with that not working anymore you know what i really want to talk about in response to what you just said is um the fact that you know when we talk to our customers we talk to uh, leading chief diversity officers who are fielding uh come full circle fielding inbound requests from majority identity candidates on linkedin so white majority identity or male majority identity candidates are saying to them what is the dei policy at your company i need to know before i choose to work there so majority identity candidates are demanding this information but why 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 right and it's because dei coming into the enterprise the demand is so high not simply and exclusively because it's quote the right thing to do right or because enough people have read the same book but because it represents the advent of grassroots democracy inside the employee experience right they know that they're going to get a voice and a vote and so to come full circle to what you're saying it turns out that every company that bets on dei is winning because it's the whole new level of the game right and so that's you know that's who's that's who's succeeding i can't believe that you get into the wall street journal and you have this wealth of experience and all they want to know there it is with the air cigarette yeah all they want yeah. to know do you, yes no up down vote do you publish right you're like i could tell you anything and i i just want to know that's right right but you know that's i'm sure i'm sure with all of the wisdom that i gave in the quotes they'll be back in another 30 years they'll be back though i can feel it but it is like you know the thing is is that it because people are starting to understand wait you treat people bad like let's just look at it from that standpoint i mean and we're seeing it across the board it's not just like black people or people of color it's like wait you treat women bad wait i don't want to work there you treat you don't have people with disabilities you don't have accommodations or you decided not to you didn't have a you didn't get an interpreter so somebody couldn't interview at your company or you you, you didn't have a chair for a person to interview at your company so they could wait like especially there's so much going on in the world like can we just can we just try to treat each other better there's a lot without without us like the movie, like I can do bad by myself. I don't need you to help me do that.
Well, and what we're discovering uh, through all of our customer research as we uh, built our product for Included is that most companies don't have visibility into how candidates are getting treated inside the, the hiring funnel. Right. So in some limited cases, some companies have access to top of the funnel data about the demographic experience of the candidates. But as you go through, right, there's tons of missed opportunities, like you're saying, right, to provide an interpreter on a like one to one level or to refine policies and processes, because we know we can pinpoint with surgical accuracy. And that's what included delivers the exact point in the hiring funnel where specific demographic groups, intersectional or not, are dropping out. Right. And so the ability to know precisely where those experiences are. For example, again, to use the Salesforce metaphor, we would never omit a single moment within the sales funnel to know the customer, to court them, to deliver an unparalleled experience, right? And that's what our customers are using included for is to know their data with that level of precision. So they never miss those opportunities. That's a piece that I think is also so, so critical, what you just said, just about like the what are those touch points? What are those things that need to happen? Because I've always like thought in the way that I visualize employee engagement is almost this these threads that tie the employee to the organization. And I think, you know, when you think about ACRM tools such as Salesforce, whatever, you know, HubSpot, whatever you want to call it, you know, it's the what are those touch points and how different are they for every individual? And obviously they shouldn't be. They should be consistent. They should be equitable, all of those things. And so I think that's one of the pieces too, is just how do you create an environment that is more equitable by being more consistent and by using a tool such as included? Mm. Yeah, I mean, the way our customers are doing that. So there's very few DEI best practices that have actually passed the rigor of inspection. And I say that with full humility, you guys, because I led anti-bias trainings in the early 2000s that have been proven not to work. So That's because they weren't biased. Yeah. Like you can't teach people about bias if they're not biased. Right. I'm just saying. Yeah. So yeah, fail. No bias there. Yeah. It's like a no. sad tram trombone experience for me when all the research came out. I was like, that was like a quarter of my uh -uh. life. Yeah. 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 But but again, like I so yes. But then also, I think there is like, I have been in the same boat where you, you know, take that, you know, the joke of, hey, if you take that two hour bias training, that doesn't eliminate bias, unfortunately. Um, but I think there's that piece too of that's where the awareness though comes in. Because how many hiring leaders, how many folks have you talked to about bias that like when that light bulb goes off of, oh, oh wait, you're, you're talking to me too? Oh, I thought I, I figured this out. I don't have bias. And I'm like, no, I, I still do have bias. Every single one of us does. And, you know, it, that's just the way that this works. So I think that's a piece too, that yes, I, I had the same sad trombone moment of like, however, oh. you know, what just started working and this was like a weird, I didn't. So I started teaching the stages of bias. Yes. That's actually working okay. because people are like, because if you say, oh, you're biased, don't be biased. Right. That's like saying, oh like you want to be skinny well then you know like eat less that's like not saying oh you drink a two liter dr pepper a day let's start with that like oh like you seem to be carb loaded and you eat cheetos at two o'clock in the morning like you can't just say just do this right so you can't just say don't be biased because people don't recognize like there is it starts with the i don't even know what bias is and i'm not biased but my gut is telling me I think this is an awesome candidate and you're like sure okay so i started doing the stages with examples and i've seen some changes uh, stay tuned because <laughs> it's still out there i can't tell you i i will only know 18 months from like now if it is like stuck but explaining those pieces but like yeah we're we're starting because this is the first time that people have actually let people go full stage with everything mm-hmm like beyond the ERG, like beyond the book club. Ooh, that sounds like a good name I for was, a, an actual book. I was just going to say, gosh, that's a title. Yeah. Like you, you just like right? titles. I love it. Beyond well, the I book know club. what I was going to, yeah. 
that is that, um, you know, gosh, I wish, by the way, that the research had come out earlier so I could have saved my breath. But uh, when I was starting to, it was like such an epic moment, you know. But you're right. Things are the, the cycle of measuring DEI best practices has sped up. And thank God, you know, I want I mean, personally, my preference is that everything get measured and tested so that we can get about our business, you know, which is the business of wealth transfer and the creation of opportunities and access. That's been my business since I was 18 years old. And my question is, is within the diversity uh, hiring function, right? Or the question that we brought to market with included is which practices have actually passed, uh, you know, rigorous inspection for driving real diversity hiring outcomes? And the answer is very few, very, very few practices. One of them, you know this, one of them is diverse candidate slates. Another one is having a diverse loop of interviewers. Right. And it's so I actually for personally, I'm like high vibe about like stripping all the fluff out and being like, let's drive a train that stays on the tracks. Right. And so with included um, operational capabilities, right, we're able to help companies to continuously track and see the success rate of every single open rec. Is there a diverse candidate slate at the top of the funnel? Is there a diverse slate going to interview? Is there a diverse loop um, set up for each rec? And then, you know, we'll engage the recruiters or the hiring managers or the correct individuals to make sure that those things are happening, right? And that's really where we're at is the ability for the predictive analytics to know as things are unfolding what direction we're headed in, right? Just like a revenue forecast. Are we on track to succeed with our intentions here, right? And, and that's really what I think is so interesting is to move from, you know, like a spray and pray approach with tactics to just like, let's do this one thing, let's do it well, right? And I think the private sector in other ways has shown what that looks like and, and we've yet to see that come to fruition in this side of the house. Yeah, I just I wish we could do like a test. So because what's not being done okay. is analytics of the recruiter to say, is this recruiter going to even send you diverse candidates once they find those candidates? We showed that, that we we free hire. Our platform, what? So uh, our platform, I can't predict, I mean, I guess I could predict uh, based on their historical data, but we're able to show out the impact of every hiring manager, every recruiter. Oh, no. Yeah. See, I don't, I want it before they come in the door. I just want like some weird thing on LinkedIn that just flashed really quick. I mean, they don't have to show everybody, but they'll be like, uh-uh, like that's, I just, that's all, like, I wish I could see it walking in the door. Swipe left. Um, it's going to be a little, yeah, 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 that, that's what I need. Because I, I mean, at some point it will just be the norm where they, people will have better expectations when they're held accountable to some of these numbers. Um. Because I'm saying before you even get there, like I wish there was like a typing test to say, oh, yeah, this is not going to work for our organization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where's that trombone again? <laughs> yeah. So obviously the new technology and you said it obviously is going well um what else is is going on within either the coaching business or you know what else are you focused on mm. what else do you want to talk about mm. you know i uh am i think you know my primary focus right now is figuring out sort of where is the hockey puck headed with the regulatory landscape around human capital management reporting when it comes to dei mm -hmm. Um, these, those external pressures that are being visited upon the private sector are driving, you know, like a percentage of the executive population that was not previously bought in uh, to the business case for diversity, which, by the way, we find a huge acceptance for now. Uh, I know you guys see that, too. So I'm really interested in, you know, sort of NASDAQ, SEC, you know, the state of California's board regulations for diversity that went down on litigation. We expect them to come back. And then also, like, where's the hockey puck headed with this high level of hunger for precision and DEI data? I mean, we have yet to see the outcomes unlocked. Right, because those solutions like included are still being deployed right now in their first like 24 months. And so is this gonna like, is this really gonna drive, you know, the breakthroughs that we're hoping for, right? So that's a big question mark in my head is, you know, is this gonna, is this gonna be the key that unlocks the door? You know, I don't know if that's the case. When I was 19, I thought, you know, getting people to understand the structures of our society might work. Now I'm here and I'm, I'm really curious about what it means to put tools in, in leaders' hands um, that give them the information they need. And then the final piece is really just, you know, 
when it when it comes to the pipeline right for female black brown disabled queer talent in high paying jobs um, the investment in that infrastructure, I think, is really the next place that our customers are interested in. And, and as a result, I'm interested in, too. Um, you know, some of the greatest um, thinkers that we've had access to, uh, diversity leaders at scale, are, are spending a lot of their time investing in that infrastructure, the pipeline, you know, the education of like black and brown children to make sure that they're having total access, right, to the skill sets that prepare them for uh, opportunities that are high paying and, and high demand. So I, I, yeah, thinking kind of, again, always structurally, right? I'm thinking about the regulatory landscape. I'm thinking about the pipeline issues. Um, a lot of it ends up back at the government level. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. Yeah, I think the, so environmental, social governance, all of these, the ESG stuff that's coming up for so many organizations, especially, as you said, you know, the publicly traded companies the conversations that I'm having that, you know, the CFO is now saying, Katie, tell, tell me more, tell me more of the things that I need to be aware of, or what yeah. else we need to put in this report, which again, even two years ago, three years ago would have been unheard of. The, you, that was kind of always my joke is the CFO never really was that on board, or I, I won't say didn't care. Cause that's not, that's not nice. And that's a generalization, but it was like, show me the number, show me. Yeah. Jackie's face, if y'all are watching, you can see it, but if you're just listening, <laughs> but, it, but I, but it's right. Like, like the CFO was like, no, show me the numbers. And now that we have the data to be able to say, here's the thing, you know, when you have a diverse candidate slate, here is the statistical, you know, difference that it will make in how many people you will hire that are underrepresented. Like that's data that they can wrap that their head is around. My, you have like you just summed up my whole planet in like three words, which is like here's the data, right? That's right. It. even they, people are crazy. They they're not, they 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 crave the data, but then you show them the data and they're like, no, uh, like they gaslight themselves. So like that, we need to get there. Okay, here's your data, and they're like, no, Ronald wouldn't do. Ronald is doing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, yes. we gotta be like, it's Ronald. That's what I always say. Like the numbers don't lie. Like we can tell at any stage of the funnel where we're at. And then we can look, I think it's what's, what's funny at text. It's just, yeah. It what's we, like, we look at language, right? So then yeah. we're like, oh, we've seen an in, we've seen an increase in these problematic phrases and job posts. And we're like, getting a little stressful in sales like you start seeing all this language that comes up like metrics driven like uh president's club fast like all pace. This stuff that yeah yeah you're like oh the fast-paced ninjas over there the fast-paced ninjas yeah. of the world yes no, they're all there that's the job title i'm looking for a fast-paced ninja yeah guru. Well, let me jackie let me ask you a question actually i couldn't help but think you know as i was coming onto this podcast you're a leader of both DEI and talent acquisition at a yeah. company. That means that you are my customer. Yeah. And so I couldn't help become curious sort of about the problem set that you're facing. I mean, that included, we are a hundred percent customer obsessed. And anytime I get a chance to talk to a leader in the DEI slash TA space, right? Like I'm thinking about Christy Robinson, who's also the head of DEI and TA at BarkBox, who's a customer of ours. I want to know sort of like, what are your, you know, Franklin Covey, like, what are your big rocks right now? Like, what are you really trying to wrap your arms around? Well, I just think in general, it's like when you look at skills gaps, right? And you have, let's just pretend that you're a company and you have Acme Brick as one of your uh, technologies, but nobody's using Acme Brick, right? 
So then you're like, hiring manager, do you need to hire, do you need, what are the requirements? And you're like, well, what about Acme Brick? And they're like, no, you don't really need it, right? And so you see, like, you're like, no, wait, you need it. And then you have people who are like, oh, I got to quit because I thought I was going to learn Acme Brick and I didn't learn Acme Brick. And so you're like, okay, you have to hire somebody with Acme Brick, right? So when you're talking about it, what what I always am trying to wrap my hands around it is that you're trying to, it's a, it's a, it's a, let's look at it from a holistic point of view. Like when you know that you're doing the culture ad, that is different than everybody who's here. That's always going to be the challenge. And so we have to look at those types of gaps as well as skill gaps to make sure that we have the alignment. And also with us, we are inclusive across the board. And so um, somebody came and tried to sell me something the other day and they were like, oh, like you need more women. Am I right? I was like, our, we have one man on our exec team. No, I need more men on my exec team. I need, you know. I don't have that. So now what? Like, oh, like this is like this group. Like, nope, we're good there. Good there. Um, and explaining the inclusive, like it's not, it's making sure that we have access to everyone that I'm meeting. Right. So that's the biggest pain point. It's like not everybody who has a has a um commitment to diversity and inclusion is looking just for black and brown women right there's people with disabilities there's members lgbtq plus there's all of these various groups and we need to make sure that we're inclusive across the board and so it's great at the top of the funnel but it's like looking at every department and seeing what is what is working there what's not working there and sometimes it's like oh, well, majority are in this time zone versus that time zone, like, or some people have this language, we don't have anybody who speaks this language, or what are the types of things that we can do? So we have to look at it from a holistic view, and that changes on the regular, as soon as somebody walks in or somebody walks out. And so keeping the, the pulse on that mm -hmm. is always a challenge, and wanting to do it proactively so you can make sure that you're not, you don't miss a beat. Um, yeah, can be challenging and looking at what's like regrettable versus non regrettable mm. loss of, of staff. Mm. Like, you know, running those things. I was just I was inspired. Uh, I sorry, I uh, I have a pro I have a habit of overlapping speeches as one of these. So. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, I was inspired by what you were saying to think about how, you know, in the origins of what is now referred to as the DEI space, um, the frameworks are pretty rigid, right? Uh, good or bad, racist or not racist, sexist or not sexist, right? And that, you know, uh, with DEI really taking up its home inside the private sector, it's had to incorporate agile. Right, it's had to become mm -hmm. flexible, uh, customizable experience per set of business goals. But if you roll the tape back to you know the tons and tons of workshops and trainings we all did in the last several decades, right? There was always an issue in the room of people saying, "Yes, I like what you're saying. I want to be a good person, and this is starting to like turn on a light bulb for me." But there's a way in which something that's very true about my life doesn't actually what you're saying and then there's right. always that point in the workshop where you're like i understand and you're a real person and your multiple identities matter and really like, like if you blow that out to the enterprise level right like it's just what you're saying right that the solutions we deliver and this is true for included as well have to be massively customizable so that like you know the sales department might be wanting to hire you know to be stupid about it more women but the hr department might be wanting to hire more men so That's forth right. and so on right to be able to customize the analytics to be delivered with precision to the people who need them in the way that they need them to drive results and for me this is very exciting um and i really had that thought about connecting the rigidity the previous rigidity to the new flexibility i do think the influence of agile on dei is fascinating like i don't think we yeah, were yeah. I mean, like who could have conceived of this mashup in 1998. <laughs> like, Girl, listen you know what i was doing in 1998 i don't even remember i don't even that's i do but year. it's not appropriate to discuss on a podcast yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's like we just like it is exciting that we're kind of like people get 
people are, you're getting a more baseline where people are starting to get the diversity part. It is the inclusion and the belonging part and the, having that underlying current and moving from nice to kind is a, a big piece of being able to have uh, that language and being like, you know, trying to develop a culture of candor is hard because you're always going to have somebody who oversheets, right? <laughs> Who's like, you're dumb and your mom's dumb. You're like, Whoop. close, pull it. If you could just pull it back, pull it back. <laughs> and someone else is going to be like, um, you're pretty like, okay, tell me about my mom. She's pretty too. And you're like, okay, we're not getting there. So, you know, there's just so many steps. And I think um, we have started to be able to push the needle and just trying to meet people where they are. And um, the bigger you get and the more you let this go out of control without anybody holding people accountable, the harder it is to, to wrangle back. Man, yes. And when we think about sort of the impact that has on retention and attrition, right? You know, we put so much effort, or at least our customers do, into, uh, you know, hiring, you know, their, their rock star diverse slates of candidates right and then keeping those folks in the enterprise and you're like i'm out here trying to teach people not to be rude <laughs> right i mean like there's so many moving pieces for what it means for us you know um i mean from a business from a purely business perspective i mean that's a huge investment that companies are making right and locating their rock star diverse talent and then like what does it mean then to invest in the employee experience internally is it book clubs? Is it kegs, right? Is it ping pong, right? Or is it actually troubleshooting the policies, right? I mean, like remote work has really taught us a lot, right? It turns out that I didn't need a stuffy on my work anniversary. I needed to work from home. <laughs> <laughs> I want a stuffy. I want a stuffy um. too. <laughs> But I love that. I love that. I love that. But that's what it does, right? Is we say, let's examine the actual reasons. This is like, you know, radical politics 101, root cause analysis. Let's examine the actual reason that people stay or go, right? And not just scattershot, try harder. Because I think we're done trying harder, right? We want to work smarter. We want to work faster. But by the way, I'm happy to, I'm happy to get you guys stuffies. Like, no problem. Oh, thanks. We'll be waiting. Yeah, we'll be waiting nice. for those. No. <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, so what we like to do to kind of wrap up each episode is to just ask the question of what is the one thing that you want folks who are listening to take away from this conversation? What's one thing that you want to make sure they heard you say or heard us talk about? It can be two things. There's no pressure. No, it's only one, Laura. Don't even try it. Jackie does it all the time, but I'm 2022. I'm the enforcer. No, I'm just kidding. Do you want a minute to think about it? Because we'll make Jackie go first if you want. No, it's like remote work goes over stuffies. That's what I need people to say. No. Um, yeah, I like it. <laughs> and Jackie's like, and see, you're done. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I look, I'm a huge advocate for HRTA and DEI leaders and even hiring managers and business unit leaders and C-suite to demand more from their DEI data. Our expectations are so low for what we're allowed to see and know what levels of precision and how fast, right? And so I really want to challenge everyone to demand the entire truth and to demand it instantly, uh, just like we would in any other part of the business. Awesome. Love it. Jackie. I just want people to keep going. If like, if you feel stuck, just keep, just keep going because I don't think we could have imagined that we were going to have this conversation, even like in starting the podcast, I don't think we were ever going to have this part conversation. Wasn't that our first podcast? Like everyone sucks and we're diversity people and it's hard, <laughs> hard, hard, but you know, and, it's, it's and we still, need a nap. It's still hard, just different. Yeah. Yeah. So we all need a nap. Yeah. Just keep going. I think we're getting, if we all keep going, then we can, we can get there, but it's going to take all of us. 
I, that I love that. Half? I think that's, that's one and a half ish. Yeah, no, I think that's good. Mine is the, you know, just the whole idea of don't just throw stuff against a wall. And yes, I know that that's something that a lot of companies are doing, but be thoughtful about it. And, you know, I think even if you like, Laura, you mentioned, you know, do one thing and do it really, really well to see if like how you can actually make a difference. And I think that's just such a, a critical thing to hear and have people understand. And, you know, I, I have, I'm a huge fan of diverse candidate slates. If you just did that, just that one thing, the impact that you can have, or if, you know, talking about Jackie's realm, if you just change the, the language on your job postings and nothing else, what a difference you could have on the amount of candidates and the, the different candidates that you would get. So like, just do one thing that is really, really good that we know works and do it well, and then measure it and then do the next thing. And then the next thing. And then yeah, the next thing, because yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a one piece, you know, Jackie, you're talking about taking a nap, all that stuff. I think that's one of the other pieces that you start talking about DNI to leaders and you see their eyes kind of glaze over. Cause they're like, holy crap, what? Like we have to do all of those things. But when you start to, and even I, I know we're joking about book clubs, even that there, I mean, there's a book that I highly recommend that every team goes through and I facilitate it and I love it. That's one thing that you can help to just create that more awareness and in all of these things. And so one thing, do it really well. Um, so I don't know, that wasn't really one Jackie. I think that was like a summary of all. <laughs> yeah. I was like, doesn't that, isn't that like half? That didn't feel like a full idea, like half-baked. So that makes up. I, that's okay. I gave an extra half. That, that counts. Okay. Okay. That counts. All right. We're good. We're good. Um, all right. So thank you all for listening. Laura, thank you so much for being here. We truly enjoyed the conversation and, uh, you know, look forward to, to connecting again soon. This is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. And this is the Inclusive <laughs> AF Podcast. Oh, yeah, that. Bye. Bye. We'd never admit it, but deep down, we all get at least some pleasure from bad things happening to somebody we don't like. History's full of stories about bitter enemies being mutually horrible. Usually nothing good comes of it. But sometimes, sometimes, you get soul singers James Brown and Joe Tex, or 17th century nun Sor Juana, and the entire Catholic Church duking it out and dramatically changing our world. On Beef with Bridget Todd, we tell the stories of those petty feuds behind some of the greatest art, innovation, and global events. Listen to Beef wherever you get your podcasts.